Traditionally, here's the issue with retirement planning is that when you're when you're putting money away and you're not taking out, you're not so whether the market goes up and down and it averages 10%, let's just use a round number, okay. right? It doesn't matter, negatives, positives, right? Because money's just going in and it's just average out. When you're on your way out and you're starting to actually take money out and you're gonna take money on a consistent basis. So if I have a negative year in the market and I'm still taking out because I have to take out, that's what I'm living on, it exasperates the losses and within a couple of years, you can actually run out of money. Do you wanna know how to retire at the age of 65 years old with $4.3 million in cash? Buckle up, this episode's a great one. Being a Jew, awesome. Managing personal finances, not so awesome. Welcome to Kosher Money. A new episode of Kosher Money has arrived. And when you hear about retirement, people go, yawn, oh man, retirement's boring. But I don't think this is boring. I think this is exciting. And people who do this correctly can look back in 10 years, 20 years, 30 years as their money's growing um, and be excited about that. Um, we're excited to have you here, Yitzchak slash Isaac. Uh, people always knock me because they don't say, because uh, I don't introduce the guest of who they are, what exactly they do. So what does your day-to-day look like? What What are your qualifications? Um, what do you do for a living? And how do you help people? Sure. So I'm a certified financial planner, um, which is um, really good. I've been doing this about 18 years now. Um, you know, I have uh, a master's in accounting. Back, I wasn't sure which direction to take, um, so I have that, you know, PCS back in the day. 17, 18 years ago, I got that. And it's also good, I deal with a lot of accountants and estate planning, so having a tax background helps as well. And um, then I'm a CFP, a certified financial planner, which is the design- highest designation in investment. It's broad-based, it's ethics, it's business, it's understanding, you know, everything in psychology, everything involved in planning. Also a CLU or Charter Life Underwriter, which is the highest in insurance, understanding insurance contracts and how they work and distributions, things like that. And then the last one I got is a newer one. It's called the RICP, Retirement Income Certified Professional. Because for this specific reason, there was a lot of, especially today's generation who retiring, they, they're very under where they need to be because they were calculating 20 years of retirement. Now they realize they're going to live 30 years. Mm. Um, till now, people relied on pensions. And basically, the company or the government took care of them. Now, with the 1980s, when they switched to 401k model, we'll discuss, it became an employee risk. And now the onus is on them to have enough money and make that money last Mm. and to navigate that in retirement again is much harder and again they didn't do that planning up the mountain in that respect so that was the last degree that i got is retirement planning to focus on these strategies to help people obviously if you're at a certain point that's much harder to help people but that was the last thing that i've done uh, as a day-to-day, you know, again, I have, you know, a few hundred clients, obviously, you know, all, ranging all ranges. I have from yeshiva people to billionaires who, you know, and anywhere in between who, you know, obviously each have different needs. Some I take care of a lot of it. Some I just take care of pieces of it. Again, so I'll do the wealth management, opening IRAs, 401ks, brokerage accounts for, you know, weddings, college, college planning, things like that. I also do certain insurances like life, disability, health. 
uh, long-term care, which also plays a role in retirement planning as well. So in those specific areas of insurance that I offer. And then being a general resource, again, things that I don't sell, whether it's wills and trusts, mortgages, finance questions, things like that, you know, I'll do a broad base. People call me with questions or, you know, that not necessarily that I do, but just again, A, either to make sure they're in place or if it affects they're, you know, have their open the extra finances, you know, so it does play a role in what I do. Sure. So if you're listening, that was a summary of what Yitzchak Isaac, what he does. So I hopefully I answered the critics uh, in terms of introducing the guests. We came across you because you created um, a spreadsheet, a PDF called the ABCs of wealth. Let's talk about what what are the ABCs of wealth, and we'll get we'll get into your good list of questions here. So yeah, ABC is really an acronym for, you know, is asset protection. When when you build a house, right, obviously it has to be done with proper, first you have strong foundations, then you build it, then you enjoy it, right? And financial planning and, and the financial world is really the same thing. First, you have to have a solid, you know, asset protection, you need to have the foundation in place. And these are the boring stuff or the stuff that's an expense. But if those aren't put in place properly, you can lose everything you've worked for, whether that's you know life insurance, health insurance, if you're a business owner, buy-sell agreements, if you have a, a power of attorney, things like that, even an umbrella policy. Umbrella policies are very needed. Again, I don't sell most of that stuff. It's not something I do, but even wills and trusts to keep it out of probate, you can end up wasting a lot of money, uh, of hard-earned money going down the drain if these things aren't set in place, firmly in place, right, step one. So, and those, that includes like having a savings, you know, emergency reserve, things that you just need to have in place before you can start building your wealth. Then B is for building the wealth, obviously. And that's putting away money, but it's a 401k, IRA, regular, you know, stock accounts, um, bonds, whatever, based on your, your time horizon age and what your goals are, you know, that's the building of the wealth. And then the ultimate goal, which is what we're here as the C is creating income. Meaning, what are we doing in life? We're trading our time and our and our and our and what we're good at for money, right? And then we put that money to investments. But the goal isn't we don't obviously, you know, sleep on bars of gold. The goal at some point is to convert that and now switch my investments to money to be able to enjoy my life, right? It's kind of up and down cycle. And most people they just focus on the accumulation of the wealth. And not on, you know, let's call it going down the other side of the mountain, you know, after you've peaked your earning years. And that's something that people don't focus on either because they're so focused on getting up the mountain, they don't think about it. But also some people, it's so hard to get up the mountain, the savings for those shorter term goal needs, they don't think about it. But it's also important because strategies that you put in place today will help you get on the other side of the mountain, down the mountain. Meaning, if you're like a business owner, it's mm. like most people focus on, it's, you'd be wrong to focus on gross profit. Obviously, you have expenses and things till you hit the net profit. Focusing just on IRR, the rate of return that you're gonna make on your money, which a lot of advisors do, is I'm gonna make you 10%, 12%. I have the greatest next real estate deal, IRR, IRR, and that's very good. But sometimes you can have a bigger pot of money, like your gross profit, but it doesn't doesn't flow down to the what's, what's actual real. And in retirement, Sometimes you can have a bigger pot of money, 
but it's in certain structures, whether it's not it's taxable or non-liquid or things like that, where the end result is you want to have income in retirement to enjoy, and a bigger pot of money does not necessarily equate to more money in retirement, as we'll discuss why that is. So sometimes starting early enough and positioning yourself, even during the up phase, in certain things to balance those, to have that, you know, safe you know, having the end result in mind when you start, that's important as well. So showing the ABC that they're all connected, they're all important, um, is, and having a plan for that is really the reason I structure it like that. Very interesting. Yeah, because we talk a lot about accumulation and setting up your 401k and your IRA, but you really need to be strategic and have intent when it comes to the distribution of that money when you're in retirement, and we'll get into that. So the million-dollar question, no pun intended, is how much income do I need for retirement? So as previous um, guests have you had on, um, Zemel and even Horowitz and other people mentioned, traditionally, you, however much you need today in retirement, what you would feel you need in retirement, whatever your current income is, I mean, obviously, you know, let's say Jews and non-Jews have different um, needs, but let's say 80% of your current income would be needed in retirement. But because of inflation, obviously, you have to multiply that to get what your 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 real you know total number would be so for example you needed a hundred thousand dollars today let's say you're making a hundred thousand dollars again just use round numbers mm-hmm. a lot of people make more than that but let's just use simple numbers you would need around eighty thousand dollars of income to maintain a lifestyle and then you would have to obviously adjust that for inflation times it by two or three times so you need around two hundred and forty thousand in 30 years from now just to have the same purchasing power as eighty thousand is today so you would have to create a, a system that would be throwing off $240,000 a year. Now, obviously, you're going to get so hopefully some Social Security, you know, assuming that you've been working and paying into the system. You know, that's a big problem that a lot of people have, especially um, certain, you know, either in schools or other places that they pay it off parsonage or they're doing, you know, cash or whatever it is. And yes, you are saving money in taxes today, but if you're living 30 years in retirement, you're giving up a lot of Social Security benefits that you know you may get down the road for a very long time. How much does the average person get from Social Security annually? It, it really depends. It could be, it could be thirty thousand, fifty thousand, really twenty thousand. Really depends on not how, nearly enough to no. To live. It's not, and it was never made for enough. That's the issue with Social Security. Social Security was created that starts at 65. When they created it back in FDR, when they did it, the average lifespan of a person was, guess? 70. 63. Wow. So they figured it's a safety net. For those few who live too long, we'll be able to, you know, obviously the average now, a couple that at 65, there's, I think, a 40% chance that one of them is going to be living to 95, 30 years, right? So obviously... That's why Social Security is in the situation it is. I'm not going to call it, say, a Ponzi scheme, but we're basically, it's not self-sufficient because it was never created to support people for 30 years. Besides demographic changes that there's more older people and younger people who are taking out of the system, putting in the system, but it was never created really to be a lifeline for people in, ret- in retirement. It, it, it's, it's there and you can't take away it. So they're gradually, now they're encouraging you to wait to 70. And every year you delay taking Social Security, they give you an extra bonus, uh-huh. you know, to try to delay when they're going to pay you out. And then based on your personal health at the time at 65, you make that decision. Um, and there's software that'll, you know, decide, you know, what makes sense, how many years, the break even if I wait to get the higher amount than taking it now, 
you know, having more money for longer um, at that time. But the Social Security definitely, you know, buffers it. Obviously, some of your expenses are not there anymore. Most people, their mortgage is gone, their kids are gone, you know, there's certain things. And there's what's called the, the hill of, you know, retirement money, mm-hmm. which means that when you first start, you're healthy, you're 65, whatever that is, and you can, you'll travel, you'll spend the money, maybe you can still afford to have two houses, a summer home, things like that. Eventually, though, you know, as you, your, your health declines and your abilities decline, you don't spend as much on these discretionary things and that just becomes non-discretionary I'm sorry and now it just becomes taking care of yourself and medical things like that and then that will depend on if you have long-term care insurance to help you you know supplement that if you have enough assets to help you with that again a lot of people do what's called medicaid planning which we could discuss which is getting yourself you know it's call it basically getting rid of your assets to be eligible for Medicaid. And the Medicaid is a state program, so obviously every state works differently with the laws and how that works. Uh, it's actually funny. As a certified financial plan or with my ethics, it's actually, they discourage, I don't call it illegal for me to plan to make someone get rid of all their money to be destitute. I'm mm. not sure why it's different than estate planning, getting rid of not to pay estate taxes, but that's what it is. But there's whole businesses that are built around helping people, and even lawyers who that's their specialty is getting people, helping them you know, get onto Medicaid by getting rid of their assets and certain trusts and gifting and things like that to help you know, at the back end of the curve. So bottom line is you need around two and a half, you know, two, let's say an average person, you know, $250,000 of income coming in. And that's traditionally, you know, again, based on what your current income is and multiply that for inflation. So what's the number when it cuts, someone's retiring at the age of 65, how much do they need to have had put away so that they can live to 95 without taking a job? Walmart, as a Walmart reader uh, right. back again. So that's the, not to make it on your point, the million dollar question is traditionally, here's the issue with retirement planning is that when you're, when you're putting money away and you're not taking out, you're not, so whether the market goes up and down and it averages 10%, let's just use a round number, right? right? It doesn't matter, negatives, positives, right? Because money's just going in and it's just average out. When you're on your way out and you're starting to t- actually take money out, and you're gonna take money on a consistent basis. So if I have a negative year in the market and I'm still taking out because I have to take out, that's what I'm living on, it exasperates the losses. And within a couple of years, you can actually run out of money. And it's, I wanna call it pure luck, but it's really called the sequence of return, you know, when, when you have positive, when you have negatives inside of your withdrawal period. So you can have a 30 year, I mean, I've tried some, obviously everyone cherry picks their charts to make it look, you know, best on what they do. But from 1970 to 2000, right, which is, they did a 30 year study of a retirement. If you retired in 1970, it averaged 14% the market. Right. But so you can assume I could say if you take out 10% a year, right? If the market averaged 14%, I could take out 10% a year and I'll still have plenty of money. Problem is, you know, when you have a couple of years of negative in the beginning, especially in the beginning, once you break down there, you would have run out of money in 15 years. You would have had zero dollars left. Right. Obviously, if you flipped it, you know, the, the returns from 2000 and you just go the opposite way, right. you can end up with $12 million because you had the roaring 90s and all that stuff for the first 10 years of your retirement. So it's, I want to call it pot luck, but it's, it's really, if you retired in 2000, you could have had a similar outcome where you had 2001 too, then you had 2008. Basically, you were blown out of the water if you took out 10%, even though you averaged, you know, 14%. So what the, they've gone back since 1925 and they do what's called the Monte Carlo simulation. If I get a little too in the weeds, let me know. No, go for it. And, uh, you're just scaring me because it sounds like I'm flipping a coin based on the year that I retire. 
to a certain extent, well, that's why uh, the solution is, they'll okay. tell you in a second. So the Monte Carlo simulation is they take the last 100 years of the market, they rip it apart, and they give every single scenario, like Monte Carlo, the casino, right? mm -hmm. the similar, they, they do every probability possible. And they went back since 1920s, and you know Vanguard has a great, and again, Vanguard's independent, you know, do it yourself. They have a great um, uh, website, they have a great um, place that you can toggle and see you know, how much, you, and they said, based on historical, if you don't take out more than 3% of your portfolio, you will net you you have a 98% chance that you will not have run out of money which means even the worst case scenarios that happen I mean though all the negatives happen first if you never took out 3% more than your portfolio you would not have run out of money you have a 99% success rate 3% is how much though so right so if i collected um, so if i need to collect $250,000 right um and he hit a you know Zemba the last one it's about two and a half times what you need to put away. So for every user, easy and round numbers, for every million dollars only brings in $30,000 of income, mm -hmm. right? So that's not very exciting, no, right? not at all. Not, not at all. I'm not so, traveling the world with that. There's two things, and, and you would have to have accumulated, so, so the solution is one of the two things, either accumulate a lot of money, right? And even Zemo was saying, people put away 10,000 a month, 20,000 a month in his world, and then maybe you can hit there. Right. But the average person that, you know, will show some real numbers, right? To get that number, that every million will be thirty thousand. Imagine I have to get to two hundred and fifty thousand, right? Then um, you're not really. It's not getting you very far. So that's the. So there is a solution not to run out of money. You can only take out three percent of your portfolio, which means either you have to take a lot of risk to get a bigger portfolio, scrimp and save. You know, the, in the non-Jewish world, there's this fire movement, right? Sure. Which is just save seventy percent of your income. Just live in a one, you know, one bedroom studio. Don't drive a car. Just stuff it up and then you then you can live on three percent for the rest of your life now obviously the flip side is if if, if fate is on or whatever is on your side you can end up with a boatload of money at the end because you only took out three percent and and you'll it averaged nine ten percent good but if you you know it's like going on a plane and the pilot's like we have a 70 percent chance of landing you know how many people would actually get on that plane mm -hmm. and you only have one shot at retirement it's not like you're working years where you can replenish or you know once you start retirement that's it so, you know, you want to have the highest success rate. So that's called like the safety retirement plan. And if you really want to be safe about it, then that the 3% rule, it's 3, 4%, you know, depending on which studies you use. But so that's the solution is just take out a small amount of money. But the problem is that you would have to accumulate a nice size of money in order to that 3% to generate enough that you need to live on. So how do you accumulate that money outside of making more money what are some strategies you can share that people approach you you're based in lakewood they come to you they're in their 20s 30s 40s wherever they are how can i ensure that i have the most money put away for retirement whether i retire at 65 75 whatever it may be so obviously the putting it away saving it is the ultimate goal now the benefit of locking it up and that's one of the benefits of an ira or 401k is that depending on exact structure it's locked away you can't touch it the government gives you um benefits on basically encouraging you to lock that money away so you shouldn't be destitute when you retire so if you have a 401k and they give a match i mean that's free money i always encourage people donate you know contribute up to the match you know up to the match problem is especially in the jewish world is that most of our big ticket item expenses happen from 40 to 60 and the penalty the 401k you're not allowed to take it out to your 59 and a half so if you stuff too much money in there 
you're on the flip side, you're not going to have enough money for those big ticket items for a seminary, wedding, support, you know, helping your kids out, whatever that is. And those usually happen when you're the 40 to 60 range. So that's why it's always a hard trade off. You know, even if you're saving and doing the right thing, you can't just focus on retirement because you do have these, you know, multiple big ticket items that will need to be accessed the cash before you hit retirement age. So definitely up to the match, you know, and the benefit of 401k is you don't even see the money. You don't have the the urge, you know, to spend it or splurge it. It just comes straight out of your paycheck. It just goes right in. And if you're getting a match, definitely, you know, do that. Take advantage up to the match. That's free money. So that's number one. And if you don't have a 401k, then you could do an individual IRA. You know, you put that money in. Six, right, currently, it's 6000 you and your spouse if you have 12000 of earned income. Annually. Annually, yeah, that's the max. And you can put that in. It's $500 a month per person. And you put that away. So putting it away is important. Now, there's... So stop right there. Everyone listening to this that has the ability to save, invest, or whatnot should either have a 401k or an IRA. Is that correct? Correct. There's no instance out there where someone does have discretionary income that doesn't have some method of saving slash investing for retirement. It, do, it, it just doesn't make financial sense to not have that because there are many people, there are many people listening. They could be in New York, they could be overseas, wherever they are, that are driving to their work right now. They're making a decent income. They have the ability to put money away. They're putting it into some savings account, but they don't have an IRA. That's a mistake 100%. Correct? Well, it's an American thing. So he's talking about an international people. Oh. Actually, yeah, the fact that they don't tax it is it's actually an is the government decides they don't want to tax it because they don't be a burden. For example, I've had this with Canadian citizens who yeah. invest in certain tax deferred products in America, even if even whole life insurance, everyone knows, oh, there's no tax, no tax. In Canada, it's actually taxed. IRAs for could be taxed because if it's earning interest, why shouldn't it get taxed? However, they tax international bank accounts, things like that. So just as a caveat, a lot okay. of these things may only apply in America, but yeah, whatever, but they have different vehicles that right, they have. Right. They have different systems you pay into from your paycheck, which will allow that. But yeah, you definitely should have some vehicle because if, if it's in one big discretionary account that you say, okay, I'll, I'll, everything's going in here and I'll use it for my big ticket items and whatever's left over will go for retirement. It's not, there's not going to be anything there. You know? So people approach you, they sit, they sit down with you, you take a look at their finances, they're 35 years old and there are times where they don't have an IRA set up. Yeah, very common that they won't have an IRA, 401k, nothing. Correct. And what you what you do is you help set that up for them if they need the help? Correct. I mean, sometimes if it's real, I can just help them, show them, you know, what to do. Again, a small account that's never going to grow. You know, there's no real relationship. I can, you know, a few minutes, you can, it's not that complicated. Right. You go on Vanguard, Schwab, TD Ameritrade, all these things. It's very, even the, you call them up, they're very helpful in how to set it up. So you just have the 5,000, 6,000, you just want to set it up save the fees, put into index fund, you know, you could really just do it yourself. It doesn't have to be so complicated with the financial planner and everything that goes along with it. Now, if you want the ease and not being busy with it or other advantages, as the other guest mentioned of, um, you know, where in financial advice, that's a different story, but it's not that complicated. And if you have one at work, a 401k, that's even the easiest. Just speak to your HR person, whoever handles it, and you just elect and it just goes. Um, but yeah, it's definitely something that you should have because again, if you don't, it's not going to be there. And just to give an example, if you put away a thousand dollars a month, right, which is twelve thousand dollars a year, which is right now the max you can put into an IRA over thirty years. If you start at thirty-five, and you may 
what's called 10% a year, which is a little bit on the higher end, but let's assume a 10% return. Um, after How old? Thir- what age? At 35 for 30 yeah. years. $1,000 a month. So you put away $12,000 a year. Um, by the end of 30 years, you'll have a little over $2 million in that account. So it's, it's an, it, it, even though it's $1,000 a month, some people, it, it, some people it's a squeeze to put that away. Um, but if you just do it digitally, you'll have, before you think about it, in 30 years from now, you'll have $2 million sitting in that account. We'll be right back to this week's episode. But first, I want to talk risk, risky money. I don't want to declare how much money I've lost with Bitcoin. People out there are approached by a friend, a cousin, and they're in the coffee room in yeshiva in school. And you got you to gotta get in on this deal. It's only 15000 25000 so when Yankee's doing it, Baruch did it, you should know how much I made on the last deal. I want to get in on that deal. I don't want to miss out. FOMO, right? Fear of missing out. Um, what should I be responding? And I'm sure you have stories like that. Yeah, many stories come to mind. But I'll tell you something, Ellie, that I don't think I've ever told too many people. Certainly not anybody outside of our family circle in, in the business, uh, personally and professionally. Kosher Money exclusive. Kosher Money exclusive. So we had a, who no longer works for me, I don't think he's in the business anymore. There was a loan officer, a mortgage representative who used to work for me. He did very well. He made a lot of money in the mortgage business. He had a lot of clients. He was working 23 hours a day. And he was getting these big commission checks. And God bless, we gave him the commission check and and Closed more deals, got more commission checks. And then one day he comes back and he says, can you give me a draw? And I said, um, making up a name, David. I said, David, why is, is everything okay? That was the first thing that I was concerned with. Is everything okay? He says, yeah, no, everything's fine. Gave him the, gave him the draw, no problem. He was good for it. A few days later, can I have another draw? So I said, David, something's up. He said, well, I'll tell you what it is. I invested with a friend of mine in Argentina. They're drilling for oil. And they got to this place, and we've been, I've been investing for years. And they finally um, came to the, um, to the point where they think they've located oil, and this is going to be a tremendously lucrative opportunity for everybody, all the investors. So I said, great, so what's the problem? He said, they told me that there's so much oil that the drill broke. So now I need to wire them $100,000 immediately. And unfortunately, and, and I take uh, no solace in, in being the person who said, I told you so, unfortunately, the whole thing was a hoax. He lost all of his mon- money, and it was literally hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars. And for me, the takeaway for me and the lesson that I always think about, not only with that story, but with so many others, is that you really, if, if it's too good to be true, it probably you know isn't. Not every, my father always says, not everything that's, that glitters is gold. So mm-hmm. you have to be very mindful about where you're investing, with whom you're investing, and, and what it is. And, and these get-rich-quick schemes, it's like you never hear about the person who lost money you know, at the casinos, but you'll always hear about the one person who made a lot, and, mm-hmm. and, and you don't hear about all these, um, um, these horror stories. And I think it's always investing with the right people. It's always working with professionals like really surrounding yourself with people who are experienced and knowledgeable and whether or not that person is bringing you the deal, you should always turn to somebody who's 
more experienced than you and, and pick their brain, you'll be surprised at how many people who are knowledgeable, experienced, and seasoned, how much they will share with you if you actually ask the question and um, be honest with them and say, look, this is what it is. Maybe you can't give them the exact specifics of the detail, but you'll be surprised at how much guidance you can get and it'll really save people a lot of heartache and headache later on. People hear a story like that, they think to themselves, I would never be that stupid. Right. Um, no, you're dealing with people with much lo- lower IQs. And then I'll hear stories where, wait, those 10 people, they're very intelligent people and they just get caught up in it. And, you know, looking at previous returns or whatever it is, it's, uh, it's a scary world and you really have to be cautious. Uh, if, is there a phone number if someone wanted to call your office? What what number do you give out publicly? And uh, we want to try to get your phone off the hook. We have we have 24 hour day um Live operators, so you can reach us directly at 800-475-0123 without awesome. hesitation. We'll put it in the show notes, approvedfunding.com slash mortgages. You can also visit approvedfunding.com. Check it out. If you have any questions, Schmoll's your man. Now back to this week's episode. Do you recommend that they do a certain amount of money per month towards the IRA so it's not a $6,000 bulk deposit at the end of the year? So it depends on the person. I have some people um, who don't know their income and everything until the end of the year. They get bonuses. They'll use their tax refunds. You know, they'll use different strategies how to come up with that extra money. They just don't have it on a month to month. Some also, not to get too detailed, but there's different types of IRAs. Some, if you make over a certain amount of money, you're eligible. Some, you're under a certain amount of money, you're eligible. So some clients don't know if they're on that border uh, which one they're eligible for. So that's why they wait. But otherwise, yeah, it's definitely easier to do on a month by month. So it's less, you know, on your pocket every single month. And the other advantage is when you dollar cost average, you know, as the other guests has mentioned, you know, you're getting, you're buying, you're getting in if it goes up and if it goes down, you're buying more on the way down. As opposed to you put in 6,000, which let's say right this year, right? Right before April, I had a lot of people put in their IRAs, they're six, $12,000. Mm-hmm. And right then, psh, the market went down, mm-hmm. right? So all that money, you know, it just hurts when you put in and immediately it goes down. Now, obviously, IRA money is long term. And before you even invest, you have that conversation. You're not looking at this for 20, 30 years, mm-hmm. and it's just going to be a blip on the screen. But that's the other advantage of doing it monthly. Tell me about the tax savings that particular year if someone was to invest money into 401k IRA. I've mentioned that on a previous episode, and a couple of people reached out to me. They said, wait, my accountant didn't tell me anything about this. You mean you're paying less in taxes because you're putting money away for retirement? What is that all about? It's a yes and no, meaning it's not free money. It's tax deferred. Now, let, let, me, let me backtrack. Meaning if I, I make a $10,000, right, and I put it into my 401k. Mm-hmm. Now, if I took that money and... and taxable as my paycheck and then wanted to invest it, I would owe, let's use it, 30% taxes okay. on it. I'd only have $7,000 to start compounding. But then that money is post-tax money and I'm not going to pay tax on the, the principal and even the growth will get you know capital gains tax or if I put it into a Roth, I may not pay any tax, whatever it is. Now, when I put into a 401k or a deductible IRA, then that $10,000 goes in fully and there's no tax taken off. Now I have $10,000 working for me, compounding over 20 or 30 years. So you're not actually gonna see a deduction necessarily in your taxes. You're not gonna get a rebate, but you have more money that's working for you. However, when I get to the other side, when I, hit, when I either take out money or when I hit 70 and change, when it's called RMDs, the government wants their taxes, require minimum distributions, they force you to actually take money out. That money's taxed as regular income as if you earned it or it's interest in the bank. You don't get the preferential tax treatments. 
but it compounded over all those years. Correct. So now, if I'm in the exact same tax bracket, I didn't gain anything, right? Because I'm going to pay 30% off the top of the growth. Uh-huh. Your net will end up being about the same. The, 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 the logic goes that when I'm in retirement I'm go- and I'm not working anymore, I'm going to be in a lower tax bracket. And therefore, that's where you have the tax hedge is that instead of in a 30%, I'm only in a 22% or a 20% tax bracket. Mm. And now I'm making money on that tax spread. But if I am in that same tax bracket, either because tax rates went up, and to fund Social Security and, and to um, and Medicare and all these programs that are depleting their money, they may have to raise taxes or the, all the money they're giving out now for every, you know, every uh, program they want to, you know, the student loans or green bills, whatever it is. Eventually, someone has to pay for that. The taxes will go up. So even though your income may have come down, your tax bracket may be higher. Right. And or if you really did a good job in investing and I've modeled this where if you did 10 percent of your income and, and you earned 11, 12 percent, whatever the you know, 10 percent, whatever that number is, your portfolio may throw off enough income to equal your current salary. Also, if it was, you know, if it did successful enough in your investments. So you're not necessarily going to be in a lower tax bracket. So that's why I'm not, you know, a guy making you know, 150 or less. It's a it's a call with the accountant whether now accountants a lot of them do push it because today they get a deduction so they look better today what happens in 30 years from now right is 30 years from now um so a lot of accountants like a very high tax bracket then yeah usually you get the benefit of that eventually though you know a guy is in the middle tax bracket you have to weigh whether you know the tax benefit is worth it and regarding any investment whether it's real estate stocks or anything never let the tax decide the investment decision right and everyone will tell you that don't let the 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 the, the, the tail wag the dog right mm. so don't do it only because there's tax benefits mm. you have to make sure that let's say the company has a 401k let's say they're not giving a match are there options good options that they allow that because the, they only give you minimum you know stock options or mutual funds you always have to look at the bigger picture don't let tax be the deciding factor it reminds me of paying down a mortgage more quickly Mm-hmm. where you could theoretically save over the course of the 30 years, but ultimately is your money making as much money as it could be if you were to put it somewhere else. Correct. Um, you spoke about how expenses, especially in the Orthodox Jewish world, are very high between the ages of 40 and 60. How do you educate people that come to you and guide them in terms of how much money to put away for retirement versus having enough money for simchas and things of that nature um, when those bills come. We spoke with Eric Zamel last week, and he said, you know, the same way you're putting away 10% of Meiser towards charity, you should put 10% away for investment. But when he talks investment, he's not necessarily talking about the family simchas and things of that nature. So how much should you allocate towards those large ticket items between the ages of 40 and 60? So, right. That's always the, the big question because, you know, obviously you have enough to do both. Great. Right, but if you're most people, we sit down, we target how much they're going to need for the chasas and things like that. And between me and you, most people, they're not even going to hit those targets, right? An average chasa today, you're not looking at the night of meaning marrying off a kid totally from dating to the last shavuot brachas gifts and whatever else. It's about fifty thousand plus per kid. 
50,000 plus for the wedding ceremony. Not the night of. Right, after. right. From there's dating period till there, it's a minimum of around 50,000. Okay. And then if you're promising support or, you know, if they're expecting down payment, things like that, that's even Separate. more than that. But the, those three, four months could cost you an average around $50,000. And that's very basic. I'm talking Lakewood, cheap, you know, basic stuff. You add it all together, you know, boy, maybe a little bit cheaper, but that's what you have to target. You have non-Jews listening that are completely blown away. What do you mean the boy versus the girl? We hit the comment section. The, the commenters will explain to you why the boy side maybe pays a little bit less and flops and all that. But yeah, go ahead. And again, we as parents in the Jewish world pay fully for that wedding. It doesn't fall on the bride and groom as it does in some other you know people in other demographics. And it's interesting because the bride and the groom are receiving checks. And yeah, they keep the checks. They keep the, the checks and the families And uh, the family puts for, the bill, correct. Right. Um, so, right. So obviously if you do that multiple times seven, right, you know, the average six to eight kids, whatever that number is, most people will not be putting away enough unless you're very successful. But even that, a guy says, a guy that's making enough that he could put away enough for that, he, a lot of times, if I'm making three, $400,000 a year, so that year I'll, I can, I have the extra $50,000 discretionary to throw at the wedding. But the person's only making hundred fifty dollars to $200,000. Only. Right. No. In our yeah, world, that's yeah, yeah. basically, it's you know. a crazy situation. It's crazy, and you've had, you know, discussions sure. with that. So how much can you put away already that you're going to hit that target? So some, it's funny, but people say, okay, I want, this is the target, how, and we work backwards based on, you know, mathematical formulations, how much you have to put away per month, assuming a 8% return, and we, we crunch the number. And then when they see how much per month, they're like, you know, this is what I can afford to do a month. What's it going to be? And it'll be what it'll be. Again, no financial advisor is a magician. We can't make up things that you know aren't there. It'll be what it'll be. So as it is, they're not going to really be hitting their target enough. And whether right or wrong, and again, this is a cultural thing, is that there will be people who can, will help you out to make a wedding. There aren't going to be people to help you out to make retirement. If you think about it, right? Guy says, I can't make retirement. Well, you screwed up. You should have invested better, saved better. You know, you have 20 years. You're not, you're not going to be a leech on site for 20 years. Someone has a one-ticket item. They just can't make the wedding. or they We're there for those people, right? And well, we can, can fit their bill. Well, they have, charity, back, right? they have charity organizations in Lakewood. We have Terrestrial uh, Lakala. We have an organization that gives the, the, the group, the bride and groom, things that cost price. They have halls. They have, a lot of times the community will, you know, in my synagogue, we have a pooled fund that helps people who need the extra couple thousand bucks, you know, whatever it is. They can borrow from free loan societies and pay it back, you know, again, because it's a one-ticket item. But someone in retirement is not going to live on loans forever. It just the system doesn't work. Mm -hmm. So not to encourage you know, not to become more of a need on society, but there is, if you put away for retirement, that you, there should be a little bit that goes into retirement um, just to have something. And then the rest really do need for those t big ticket items that will come up from 40 to 60. So where should they be putting that money, assuming that they do have a few percentage, uh, percentage dollars to put away for those big ticket items? Where sh should they be putting it into a Marcus Goldman Sachs account that has a one to two percent return should they be a little bit more exposed to risk so that it potentially grows where do you recommend someone putting and this is not advice this is just for educational purposes only where do where are people guided so right so obviously every person is unique and every person really the two biggest things that really really boils down to is risk tolerance and time horizon 
right? You can have someone, you could show him every statistic in the book and fact in the book. If his account drops 20, 30%, they're going to die of a heart attack. Even though they know it's comeback every single time, you know. But when he sees the account go from 50 to 30, you know, he, he, he just can't. He, it's, you know, you have it in your head, but your heart, you know, you don't have that belief. Sure. And so you have to work with someone's risk tolerance. And it's not right or wrong. I used to, in the beginning, I used to fight with people. And like, it's almost like, you know, people who pay down their mortgages don't have mortgages. You could argue financially whether it makes sense or not. Certain feeling of being debt-free and, you know, they may have, had that from their parents who interest rates were 18%. For them, it may have made sense to be debt-free at 18%. At 2-3%, it's a different financial you know, conversation where you should carry a mortgage. So it's psychology, as the other guests have mentioned, plays a big role. So once you're, you accumulate and you're, you understand that knowledge that the markets go up and down and you're comfortable with that, then you could decide the risk you're willing to take, You know, all 100% stocks, 20% stocks. There used to be a rule of thumb that you should do 100 minus your age should be the proper allocation for stocks. So if you're 40, you take 100 minus 40, you should be 60 stocks, 40% bonds, you know, to kind of hedge your risk, not to be all in. If it's something that you really have a 20-year horizon, a lot of current, you know, portfolio analysis says you could go 90, 100% into stocks while you're in that throttle mode of the growth mode. The problem is that average of 10% doesn't mean you make 10% every single year. Right. Obviously, some years you make 20, some years you could lose 10, 15, 20. Mm -hmm. And the last couple of years is when you can't afford to have that downturn. So when you're like three, four years before your um, your need, right, you want to dial down the risk at that point and then maybe do 50, 50, 40, 60, whatever that number is to, yes, you're giving up the growth, but you can't afford. Retirement, if it, if it crashes, let's say I want to retire at 65 and it crashes right then, I could push off my retirement for a couple mm-hmm. years, right? My, my kid wants to get married, you know, I don't have time to say, okay, let it, you know, rebound, which is why you should have alternate investments that are safer, whether that's bonds, whether it's whole life insurance, which obviously is not going to give the same returns, but that's what it is. It's safe, easy money that's liquid that I can tap till my other stuff, you know, comes back on online and things like that. So yeah, so it should be mostly in stocks to get the growth of the stocks, which stocks, as they mentioned, you know, index funds are, you know, the easiest, most efficient way for your small time investor to get the full market exposure without risking individual stocks. Um, But again, as you get closer, you should be dialing it down unless you really hit like the the March, let's say COVID March of 2020 taught people a lesson, you know, and how much they really can stomach risk. You know, everyone says they can until it happens, you know, and then uh, as Mike Tyson says, right, everyone's a fighter until they get hit in the face, right? That's, you know, so people think they can. It's like everyone, everyone thinks everyone else is good drivers. 85% of small businesses fail, but everyone starts because they think they're going to be in the 15%. Same thing. I, everyone thinks I can stomach, and that's why these studies show that the individual investor without an advisor does much more poorly, even though all the numbers show the market average X, because when it, when you're in it, it's definitely, you know, you hit that sell button. You just, I can't take anymore, you know? We're going to take a short break from this week's enlightening episode to tell you about Kolel Chabad. Kolel Chabad has been in operation in Israel for over 225 years. And in 2022, if you're watching this now or in 2023, They are feeding 26,000 families. They have soup kitchens across Israel. And nutrition is super important. The cost of ingredients are going up due to inflation. And Kol Chabad needs your help. We need to feed 
Holocaust survivors. We need to feed orphans and widows and families that just aren't making it. And if you have a few dollars to spare, it goes a long way. They love receiving even those smaller donations because it shows that people care and they care and we care. And if you care, please pause this episode, click on the link, kolchabad.org slash kosher money in the description, donate a few dollars, make a difference, and we can't thank you enough. Now back to this week's episode. So we spoke about in the passing, someone needing to make uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars, you know, especially as we talk about retirement and big ticket items. How are people making it, right? You know, it's not everyone's going to college and pursuing a medical degree that is generating a half a million dollars in income. Not everyone's an entrepreneur. It's a lot of money. It is. So the, the, there's a few answers. One is, especially here, we don't know how. It's uh, called Sometimes, you know, you don't, we don't know how things do, but somehow just like people sitting in call or they're learning long-term or things like that, um, and they're in college for many years, somehow we make it, we don't know. Unfortunately, the, a lot of the, the chesed, the charity that goes on, helps a lot of these people that aren't as publicized as people know. Um, I spoke to one of the heads of one of the Tom Cheshabas, the, the charity organizations, and he's like, besides the people that will never, never make it, and the guy who temporarily lost his job or has a medical emergency that needs short-term funds, our average client for our charity is in their 40s when these, these items start hitting them. Uh-huh. And that's when they, they're making that 150 and they're just making it, that puts them under. And they need that extra cushion of support, and we try you know, discreetly to help these people out. Beautiful so effort. The, yeah, that's great. That's nice. It's unfortunate, but that's kind of the, the boots on the ground. We also have a lot of people, I'm really, they, get, they get inheritances. And depending on where you're holding in life, you know, your parent had the house they bought for 60000 in Brooklyn. It's worth you know, $1.5 They didn't sell it to move downgrade to Lakewood. Mm-hmm. And then when the, the parent dies or they sell it and they downsize, and at one point in life, they're getting a chunk of money, um, which gets them through. You know, and some people are still being helped by their parents, even, you know, the parent has that equity in the house or whatever their savings. And a lot of people are still being helped by their parents. So it's a generational thing. We're still helping our kids even at that age, which really exasperate. I mean, on the flip side, exasperates your personal um, retirement planning, because a lot of people that I'm meeting with, their 60s, they're not making, they haven't really saved much. And they come to me, okay, what do I do? I have nothing left. But they're still continuously helping their kids for another five or 10 years. You know, in the non-Jewish world, you downsize, you sell your house, you buy a one-bedroom condo somewhere, you know, and you can invest that difference to generate that income. Mm -hmm. You know, here people are actually expanding in their 60s. They want their grandkids to come for the holidays and things like that. Um, Or they're still making weddings or, or they're helping their kids with down payments, things that are, you know, expected or people, you know, just, you know, that's what they do. They want to be able to help. And they're running, then they run short eventually. And then some people then will end up on their, they move back in with their kids. You know, when they're feeble, they can't. There are many people who do it for physical reasons. They just can't take care of themselves. And there are people who do it for financial reasons. You know, it got to the point where it's not viable to, you know, they have to sell the house. And then they move in, you know, with family members. I mean, thankfully, we have big families. A lot of people can help people out. Again, there's social security, there's safety nets. 
there's definitely with the inheritance. So everyone has a story. Everyone always asks me, how does everyone else do it, right? Mm-hmm. And even younger people planning for the weddings, you know, or, or buying a house. People are like, how does everyone buy a house? You know, I, I barely can put together, you know, from and the down payments now could be significant money, you know. And I realize everyone has a story. I had one guy who had a lawsuit when he was injured as a kid, and he had, that money's been sitting there for whatever it is, inheritance from a lost uncle. You know, everyone has to get tax refund, whatever it is, discipline. Someone, everyone has a story, and somehow most people make it. And the ones who don't, as I mentioned discreetly, there are safety nets um, within the community that does uh, try to help that out. What else are you seeing when you sit down with prospective clients that you think is worth shining a light on, people that may not know uh, too much about but should be aware of? What are some of those things? So again, planning obviously is the most important thing, you know, being prepared, having realistic numbers. You know, I meet with people, again, unless they, they're, they're educated, they think, wow, you know, especially people who brought, sold in Brooklyn, moved here, they'll come, they're all pumped, they're all excited, I have $500,000, they never had this much money in their account in their life, mm-hmm. I'm ready to retire. And then I have to kind of break the news to them that it's not really going to get you very, you know, it'll get you whatever, but, you know, if you want to play the safe route, you know, you're you're taking a gamble, mm-hmm. you know, you know, and, and it's a little disheartening to have that conversation with them, you know, cause they're all pumped and they, they've never even a million dollars, as we said, a million dollars only generates 30, 40 grand of income. You know, they thought they heard the market average is 10. A guy told me once, I, I, I thought the market average is 10. So I'll take 10% a year. Right. <laughs> I'm like, first of all, it doesn't always do 10. And based on these other calculations, you know, it's just not going to work, you know. So it's a little, you know. And there are things to help seniors also in retirement. I mean, not again, I don't offer these things. Something called a reverse mortgage, which mm-hmm. is a government program where instead of you paying a mortgage, actually the government, well, it's through banks, they'll give you a monthly check out of whatever the value of your principal is. So you have $300,000 of income, uh, of asset, but you're not ready to move. You don't want to sell your house and you can't necessarily get apply. Either you're not going to get approved for an equity line because you're not working anymore, but you they'll, it's called a reverse mortgage where they actually either give you a lump sum of money or they'll pay you monthly out of your equity. And then when the person dies or when they do sell it, then that's how the government gets repaid. And the banks have a government back and guarantee that it's not going to, you know, you won't owe more than the house. You don't have to worry about getting into debt, you know, and the family having that. So that's one option. You have a reverse mortgage. Um, or if you or you could do it yourself, you know, it's called equity harvesting. And I'm doing it with a lot of people who they pay down their mortgage for years, 15, 20 years, and they have they're debt free. Mm-hmm. And again, it's a psychological hurdle that they, they're all proud they're debt free. Uh, but they, based on today's interest rates, or at least a couple of years ago, if they can take a line of credit and take out two, three hundred thousand dollars now while they're still working mm-hmm. and invest it somewhere, well, even not with me. Let's say they do real estate or hard money, which are again things I don't do, and they can generate eight to ten percent, you know, income per year, and their mortgage balance is only two, is the rate is only two three percent. They're making money on that spread, so they have enough to cover their mortgage. They're bringing in extra income, and they can invest. Then that money, I can invest, you know, whatever the profit is. But at least they know that they're covering their debt, and it's a way of generating income. I'll call it from nothing because again you are risking the equity in sure, your house. There is risk, but right. again, every any investment has risk, and if that's what you need to do, that's what you need to do. Which is the way a lot of people make their weddings. Also, they take the line of credit, mm-hmm. they tap their equity. Um, which is why I also say don't pay down your mortgage too much because unless you're going to leave it zero, eventually you're going to tap it out, and you're going to end up paying a higher rate 
mm. especially today's low rates. I mean, right now, a prime is about five and a half, six percent. So you're paying down your three percent mortgage. When you open your line of credit, you're taking it out at five, six percent, right? You, you didn't really get that far, you know? So again, every individual is different, and there, that's why there are different solutions. There are actually other things you could do, but again, this goes back to disinheriting. There's a, people want to leave over legacy. People want to leave over, you know, and actually in halacha, it's actually brought, it's a mitzvah of Yerusha. It's good for the neshama, Ramah and Chesh right? Rabbi Kushner can uh, back that up. But so people want to leave over legacy. But sometimes, you know, there's, there's a product that's called an annuity. An annuity is the opposite of life insurance. You give the insurance company money and based on your age and what you pick, they'll pay you out for life every month an interest no matter what even you live to 120 right so it could be six percent eight percent right so we said you're worried about running out of money you can't take more than three percent there's a solution it's called an annuity you give the million dollars to the insurance company they'll pay you six seven percent for life now i'm making sixty seventy thousand dollars that's mm-hmm. great problem is there's no free lunch how do they do that they keep the print whenever as soon as the person dies depending on what you picked they keep the principal they keep the million bucks. So you're trading off guaranteed income for life and the security of knowing that I have enough money to live for the trade-off of giving up that principal. Do you recommend that to people? Not So 100% of your money cannot should not go to because you need liquid money. Right. And the compliance would never even let you do that even if you were a good sales guy and can, or, or an untrue shoot guy that you know, decided and convinced someone to do that, mm-hmm. right? But no, you definitely shouldn't have all your money there, 100% not. But... Uh, and this goes back to really, um, you know, back to financial planning, as we discussed in going up and down, putting in certain strategies in places that if I have a certain amount of blend of guaranteed income, I could take more risk on some of my other income because I can accelerate that or not take it in years that are negative years because I have a guaranteed amount of money that's coming in. So between Social Security and a little bit of layer of annuities, annuities, they get a bad rap because there's a lot of fees and it's high commission. And, and if you go online, you'll, you know, all the financial advisors, they, you know, they curse it out and they say it's, it's, it's worth, you know, it's because you give up all your stuff. But there's no product that's right or wrong. You know, as both an investment guy and insurance guy, it's the blend of the two that knowing how to maximize the two together is really where the magic happens. Um, for example, if I have let's say life insurance, well, let's say not to get into the degree of term and whole life, right? Term is great, everyone should have it for their income. Whole life. You heard that? Get term life insurance. Definitely. It's cheap, it's easy, you don't need all the bells, whistles, riders, all the brand names. There's A plus rated companies that are, people are shocked when I give them the real quote, and they're like, I thought it'd be so much more expensive. Right. Of course right. I would do it, like it's a no brainer. They thought it'd be thousands of dollars when it's literally 50, 25, 50 bucks a month. You know, you can get a million dollars of coverage, you know, depending on age, health, and you know, how long you're locking it in. But whole life, you know, gets the bad rap, you know, cause it's as an investment vehicle, it's not, it isn't, right? And I agree with that, you know, there are, can have that conversation. But let's say I have $500,000 of permanent insurance, right? Now, when a person is hit 65, right? Now, he could take $500,000 of his money and put it into an annuity. And now, instead of on the 500000 if he didn't have the life insurance, for example, he would only be able to take the 3% out of his $500,000. Not very much. If I have an annuity, right, I could put the $500,000 annuity and I make I make 6%, 7%, or even 8%, depending on where annuities are holding, I could generate $70,000. I you gonna tell me, but if I die, I lose my money. No, I have $500,000 of life insurance to cover that. Now my wife has the same $500,000 she would have had anyway, 
right? So by buying the life insurance, whatever that cost was over when I'm young, allowed me to get another forty, fifty thousand dollars of retirement income. So life insurance as an asset, not so good, right? It's three, four percent, whatever, depending on the product, again, not to get into the nitty-gritties of it. But as a blend with your overall financial product, could make a, a, a drastic increase in your retirement income. And it doesn't affect the family because you can that money then will go back to the family as soon as someone dies. And if someone doesn't die for 20 years, then his wife can get it at 80. Annuity at 80 could be you know 12%, whatever that number is going to be. So having both vehicles together, um, the life insurance to do that is another thing. And the other solution to the 3% rule is called a, a volatility buffer, which means that the reason that... Um, you run out of money because of the negatives and positives is because you're taking money out in a negative year and you never really go back over. People make a big mistake with averages and money. I'm going to give you a math test, simple math. Don't get nervous. I start with a hundred bucks, right? And I make a hundred percent the next year. Where am I holding? How much do I have? 200. 200. I lose 50%. I lose 50% the next year, right? How much do I have? hundred bucks. hundred. So I started with a hundred, ended with a hundred. Arithmetically, which is what a lot of mutual funds show as their average, what's the average rate of return? This is a little trick. You do 100 minus 50, right, which is 50, divided by the numbers, divided by two. You made 25% a year, right? I mean, average, but not, that's Arithmetically, not. average, you made 25% a year. Why? Because a negative has a bigger effect. Uh, than, I, to overcome the negative, I have to make double, right? If I lose 50%, I have to make 100% right? Just to break even, mm-hmm. right? So that's why when I'm in retirement and I'm losing 12%, right? And then I take, a, on top of that, I take another $100,000 or whatever that number is for my income, I've doubled down on my loss, right? That means I took out money and that money now doesn't, can't regrow. And that's why it spirals down. And you can only, it only takes two or three negative years out of 15 years to blow up your whole plan. Gulp. Yeah, I mean, it could show you different numbers and boring statistics, but it could be very small numbers too. But once you get that negative, so again, you're, historically the market goes down every couple of years, you know, whatever it is. So if I have a side fund that's not correlated to the stock market, so I have a, an account, whether it's bonds or cash or whatever it is, again, or the life insurance cash value, it's, that the purpose isn't for the growth, but it'll get me those, those three, four years when I have the negative. So year one, two, market's up, I pull my income. I could pull $70,000 a year, right? What, 7%, because why, why couldn't I take more than 7%? Because of the negative years. If I have enough to cover three or four years of downturns, I can afford to take more income in retirement because I had those those alternative buckets, they're called, you know, that's, in the industry it's called buckets, you know, you bucket sequence things. So if I have that, I have enough, so you don't want to put too much money there. You want to have most of your money in stocks, but you leave enough in a bucket, wherever that bucket's going to be, to cover those two, three years of negatives every third year when you have a negative, and that will allow you actually, but that, that takes a lot of, um, every year you have to figure that out. Meaning every year you have a negative, if you have a negative year, you got to, you know, then we take from this bucket. So it's much more hands-on as opposed to some of the other approaches. But again, there is solutions how to, to do that. Assuming someone's listening to this in their low 20s and they do, they do this. They do it well. They do it right. They do it year in, year out, and they do it well. And they want to retire at the age of 65 Again, assuming the years are bringing in, on average, 10% returns, 
where could they be money-wise when they retire? How much could they have? So, right. So I did a 40-year compounding. Okay, saying, let's do 40 years. You know, so the guy is 25 and he does it for 40 years. Okay. He puts the same $1,000 a month into his IRA, which is, you know, the max. So you do the 12000 for the year right now. Um, he, if he earns a 9% return, again, which is on the medium of the return averages, you hear return averages like 12%. Okay. And two things. Number one is, depending on the time period you're looking, and we can second, but also that was the difference between arithmetic and geometric. It's actually like 2% lower in real world numbers. I mean, they're literally taking plus minus plus minus dividing by that. But if you have a dollar that's going like that, it actually works differently. But if you do 9%, $1,000 a month over 40 years, you're gonna have around $4.3 million. That's the headline of this episode. How to retire at 65 years old with $4.3 million. Should they be tapping into a professional or if someone's educated enough, they can do this themselves? So again, as for return alpha, I mean, Vanguard, I think we discussed the study that the actual return, if you want to do an index fund, you're going to be 85% of the expert, smartest money managers mm-hmm. over a 15-year period. I mean, in a short run, you can have the Kathy Woods or the people that'll make killings and people run after them. And you can have a three-year, five-year hot streak. But once you go out 10, 15 years, there's either managers retire at that point or their luck or whatever, they were experts in railroads and and utilities and now technology, whatever the case is, um, 85% of them don't beat the market. So if, you could do it very simply. You could just put in money into the into an index fund, open it yourself, get a Vanguard, TD, Ameritrade, Schwab, easy, they have good phone service, they could definitely, you could do it yourself. Again, holding your hand, you know, when markets drop, um, if you want more diversification allocations, and some of them have these robo-advisors, which will also do that for you, how much you should have in um, international, how much you'd have in America, small cap, bonds, you know, if you want to be a little more, you know, have a little more upkick in certain areas. And then there's rebalancing, you know, if you do have a certain allocation, and one year America does great, but international doesn't do so good, you know, you want to sell some of the winners to get back to diversification, which boils back down to your risk tolerance, and your allocation. But yeah, definitely possible to do it yourself. You do not, if you have the time to do a little research, understand conceptually, you spend some time on the phone with them. Some people want the ease and convenience of it. Um, some people want just hit a button. I don't be filling out forms online. If I need tax things end of the year, I could just call you, get it, and I'll start getting things. Um, but yeah, it's definitely on a small scale. The bigger people need more estate planning, and that's where a lot of strategies and gifting and things like that. And that's where the advisor really earns, you know, his fees. Um, and then holding the hand obviously is is a big ticket. But if you are disciplined and you keep to it, your average semi intellectual guy who has an understanding of finance. Um, really could just do it himself and buy the indexes and things like that. That's what I like about Zevi Wallman and Living Smarter Jewish in that they're introducing people to other people. Not everyone has a guy. Not everyone has a girl. No one has a Rolodex in front of them that can introduce them to the right people to manage this for them. So if you're looking for a recommendation, highly recommend you guys reach out to um, Isaac... Living Smarter Jewish, there are people out there that can help. Let's talk about someone who's 59 years old. They do have plans to retire, but they didn't take your advice at the age of 25. Are you know? Is there anything they can do to salvage 
um, the next 10 years to get the most out of it for their retirement? So if they're willing to, like anyone, right, obviously really cut down, again, there's no magic. So if they really cut down and sharpen their pencil and they're determined to get it done and they have that goal and they're really there and they cut out vacations and, you know, eating out and everything they always tell people who are going debt in younger ages, they'll definitely be able to square away more money. But um, it does take some selfishness, especially in our world where you still have kids that are, you know, you want to go on that homoid trip, the holiday trip and spend two grand on one day taking the whole family to great adventures and eating out or whatever, mm-hmm. or one night in the hotel for everyone on top of that, whatever. You could blow two to five grand on one or two days with the family. And that's your pleasure in life. And that's why you put so much effort into your kids to get that nachas, the enjoyment from your seeing everyone together. So you have to make a tough call that can we still do that? You know, right now we, we have this, we have to go full throttle over the next 10 years to make sure we have that enough, you know? So if they're disciplined enough and they're willing to be selfish or self-sacrifice in that way, um, it's doable. Again, they're probably compounding, as everyone mentions, is the magic, right? And they do not have compounding on their side. Um, They could take additional, a different type of risk, um, as I mentioned, not something I do, but real estate or hard money loans where you can get a consistent 10% return um, so that'll give them income. You can also lose all your money. You could. I said it's a different set of risks, right. 100%. But you, um, have, you have to be in it to win it. And at that late in the game, you have to invest more. You, you're right. You, you don't have that choice, right? right? Obviously. And there are people who could take smaller amounts, 25000 You know, People think you need to invest hundreds of thousands. There are, depending on certain people, for whatever reason, they'll take $25,000 chunks or whatever mm-hmm. into deals or entire money loans. Again, it's not something I do. But And, and if you could do that enough, either they take the harm you know, take equity out of the house or they just put that savings away and they really do it. Again, it'll be what it'll be. There's no magic. We can't make money out of nowhere. But if they're disciplined and they really do it, they definitely could have a chunk of money. And then again, some people just work longer. Mm. The statistic now, people are working longer. And really there's no, again, the 65 number, that retirement age, is really a made-up number. I think I would be so bored if I retired. That's the issue. I know. I know. If someone retired at thirty, at sixty, whatever, young sixties, he lived to his nineties. He sat on his couch and watched TV for thirty years. I know. God bless he could him. Die but, of boredom. Yeah. Well, he didn't. I mean, <laughs> but the point was, you know, he could have had a whole other life with him. And there's really sure. no reason sixty-five is the age. Right. Obviously, if you're schlepping into Manhattan or you're a physical laborer and just physically you can't do right. it, right. you have to figure something out. But really, there's no reason sixty-five is the magic number. And also, the longer that you're delaying retirement, that means the longer you delay taking Social Security, which means the higher the payout's going to be. Um, you know, so there's other advantages. So the other option is working longer. And again, most people, 65, 70, even 75 are very strong. Will there's no reason except for society says, you know, you're supposed to retire that they should. And if you can't that you, you enjoyed your life till now, whether yourself or your family, and these are called the consequences, but these are how you balance that out is just working longer. How does the crazy inflation that we're seeing now impact retirement and the work that you do? So obviously, hopefully it's a shorter term thing. Once things shoot up, they don't usually come down, but I don't Mm -hmm. think it's going to keep, you know, today's numbers came out pretty uh, strong. They weren't, you know, the market got spooked. The feds are going to raise rates. So two problems. Inflation hurts savers because they don't want to take the risk of the market and therefore their purchasing power is is really going down. So they need more money in order that $100,000 of income now really needs to be 150000 to 
get the same $100,000 that they got two years ago. Right, so obviously it hurts them on the purchasing power. And the other thing is most retirees, especially we discussed scaling down your risk, you go to bonds, right? Stocks, I don't know if you've gone to yeah, your no, the last the last six months I've been putting $1,000 away into I-bonds because you get that. Well, I-bonds are unique, correct. No, no, but like if I only have $10,000 a year to put away, I'm nervous to put it into my IRA when I know I can get a guaranteed return from an I-bond of 7%, 9%. I could figure out what to do with the money later on, but in this climate, I think it's a safer bet, uh, more lucrative bet, because if there's a recession looming and inflation is just going to increase, I'm safer that way. Correct. So depending on where you are in the cycle of you know where you are, whether you... Right. It's, I mean, even the I-bonds, they get a lot bigger hype than it is. It's your pro- job as an advisor to say that, I know. No, I mean, I, I tell a lot of people to buy I-bonds. Yeah. Who do I tell people to buy I'm, I'm being half facetious. No, 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 but I'm serious. Yeah. I get a lot of calls to people. I'm buying a house. I'm not ready yet for buy a house. In two, three years, I want to buy a house. Can I give you my fifty, hundred thousand dollars $100,000 to invest? I don't take that money because, again, the time horizon doesn't work. Within right. a three years, five years, you could be losing money. Right. So that guy is perfect for I-bonds. Again, as much as he can buy right. his family, right. kids, whatever it is, because it's a one or two year thing. It's safe. It's guaranteed. He's giving up some upside, but he can't afford to take that risk, mm-hmm. right? So again, for a senior, instead of CDs, it's a great alternative, right? You're getting that 7%, 9%. And I was thinking of these, the hype is that, you know, it, depending, it's, you're locking it in for a year, right? Every six months, inflation resets. It could be much less than six months from now, and there are some penalties. So, but it's a good 6 7% return, 100%. And if you use it for education, it can even be tax-free. There's different ways to not even have to pay the tax. And it's a great, I own them, I tell, you know, and I, again, I recommend a lot of people, depending on their situation, to do that, you know, but the problem is if you're in regular bonds, regular bonds, when inflation goes up, they go down in value, right? Because if you're clipping the bond, I mean, let's say I buy a 3% bond, right? The difference between stocks and bonds, just so in case everyone's not even there yet, stocks, I'm buying an ownership in the company, which means that I'm a part owner in the company. Um, they issued shares back in the day. Obviously, they're not, I'm not selling it to that company. We're just re-auctioning on the new, on the market. Um, like you bought a share and you're selling it to me and I'm selling it to him. So technically it doesn't really affect the company, but we are an ownership share in the company. So the company does well in the long run, it'll go up. If the company comes obsolete, what they do in the long run, it'll go down. In the short run, obviously there's, you know, ups and downs. A bond is I'm lending money to the company at 3%, 4%, depending on how strong the company is, what the risk of them defaulting, and that's why governments are very low, because there's low default risk, and how long I'm willing to lock it in for, you know, will determine the, the price of the yield of the bond. So let's say it's a 3% right now. The, you can buy a 10-year government bond, 3%. So now I'm buying it, putting $100,000, I'm going to get 3%, right? It's clipped, it's guaranteed. If I hold it to duration, 10 years, I don't lose anything, I got my 3%. Problem is in two years from now, Bonds might be paying 5%, right? If feds keep raising interest rates, but so I'm losing out by locking in a 10-year bond at 3%, it goes up to 5%. Now, what should I do? If I want to sell my bond today, it's worth less than it was last year because why should someone buy my 3% bonds when he can buy 5% bonds? Mm-hmm. So he's going to have to discount me. Instead of giving me 100000 he I mean, you figure out the math, he may only give me 80000 because 80000 making 3% on the 100000 will be the same yield as a 5% on 100000 
right? Because he's getting it at a discount, basically. So most seniors, when you get older, they say you should put more money into bonds. So when you have high inflation, how does the feds fight inflation? They raise interest rates because mm -hmm. by raising interest rates, they cool down the economy. That means people aren't borrowing, people can't get mortgages, people, businesses. They slow down the economy by raising the cost to borrow money to put money back into the economy. So as there is interest rates, that means the bond the new bonds being issued go up. That means old bonds are worth less. So people on a on a on a fixed portfolio, right, are they're getting double whack because their purchasing power is less and the bonds they locked in at aren't really doing the job anymore. And if they want to sell them, they're going to sell them at a loss. You mm -hmm. know, it's the old joke. How can I be so broke on a fixed uh, income, right? So that's where seniors, and again, they don't have that time or a younger person, you could play with it. I'll put in the I-bonds this year, then I'll throw it into stocks, then mm -hmm. I'll do whatever. Because again, the compounding, you're really losing the compounding to a certain extent, especially right. if the market goes up 20%, right. you're giving that up but you can afford to do that. So that's the situation. What didn't we cover that you think we should be focused on? And also, if someone does want to get in touch with you, is there an email address that you share? And we'll put it in the show notes as well. Sure. I mean, really, I want to say there's really no tricks. Right? People think, oh, what's the greatest, newest you know, investment out there? Whether it's crypto, oil, this, that. You know, I usually joke, I mean, it's serious, I say take 5% as play money, as, as enjoyment money. Get it out of your system. Buy the Dogecoin, buy the things, buy whatever you, know, you hear in the, the Kiddush Club or, or the Mikvah or whatever, you're, you're at the, whatever party you're at. Go, enjoy it. You know, get it out of the system. But there are principle, there's no, whether, whoever you're speaking with, very rarely do we have a trick that the other guy doesn't really have. It's really about the strategy and the, you know, performance and, and putting it all together in a disciplined manner. Um, you know, trying to find better products. It's like if you're a bad golfer and buying a $500 club, it's not going to help you, right? And in bowling is another analogy, right? You buy this, this Chinese ball, it's not going to help you. It's knowing how to use it and, and following true and you know old traditional uh, principles is is really what's going to get you over over that that thing so just doing that discipline following the old school principles sometimes you know it itches you want to get the next bragging rights so of you made the killing or whatever again if you have the extra money that's great and maybe get a little money that you know get it out of your system open that Robinhood account and you know i've yet to meet a guy that told me that his Robinhood actually made money since in the short term, today, almost, I, I've yet to meet a guy that actually said he made money in his Robin Hood, uh, in his things. Yeah, I'm, in, I'm included in that. So that's, that's, that's really it. You know, try, focus on the end goal at the beginning. Right. Again, having some of these strategies in place, don't focus on the IRR, the return. Um, meet someone that has retirement income, you know, things like that. Me, I mean, my email is, my company is Gold Star Investment and Insurance. Um, my email is Isaac, I-S-A-A-C, at goldstariis.com. That's investment insurance services, IIS.com. I try to help, you know, if I can. Again, sometimes it's chesed, you know, it's supposed to be chesed of your time as well. So sometimes I write it off as my chesed, you know, a guy will call you, dray your cup and whatever, and nothing comes of it. And sometimes I know going in, it's just, you know, he doesn't need my, let me just, give them some structure or something like that, especially if I'm not licensed in it or it's a state that I'm not licensed in. It's really not, uh, you know, conduit for me to, uh, to do that. Thank you so much for joining. Looking forward to sharing this conversation. Highly recommend you hit Isaac up with all your questions. Make sure they're good questions. No, there's no, there's no dumb question. Shoot him an email 
and uh, looking forward to having you back soon. All right. Thanks for having me. And continue the good work. Awesome. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Kosher Money. We're over 100,000 subscribers on YouTube. If you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever, and you're not a fan on YouTube, head to YouTube. I think it's YouTube.com, right? YouTube on the app. Look up Living L'Chaim. Click subscribe. You can be alerted to new episodes. There are other types of podcasts on the Living L'Chaim network. Inspiration for the Nation. That's an issue. Spirit of the Song. So many different amazing episodes and series to listen to. We're excited. If you have a guest suggestion, please let us know. We can't thank our sponsors enough. Kol Chabad approved funding. Help our sponsors. Help us by supporting our sponsors. I think we covered it all. We're excited. We have some amazing guests lined up. So if you're new here, welcome. If you're old here, welcome back. We'll see you next week. Living L'Chaim